0: How's everybody doing? Good morning, everybody. This is the Machination Log for the week of August 7th, 2017. Don't fret, this is just going to be a Movie Crew review, though, uh, despite the fact that this is officially now a weekly podcast like it was supposed to be when that it started. That didn't come
1: out last week. What we're, the fuck are you talking about? I so those were Sundays. We
2: started. Each day... Oh. To each no, day, no. We, it, we it's coming out on Mondays. There was oh, extenuating
0: okay. circumstances. Okay. It should be coming out Monday morning. That will not be the case with this one. <laughs> okay. Mostly because I was. Okay, that's
1: say- all I'm saying is we missed our mark already.
0: No, 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 no. no. <laughs> we have not missed the mark. We're just we're delayed by 12 hours. That's an acceptable. That's an acceptable window. And the reason for that, which we'll get into next week when I actually have enough time to decompress and talk about it, was that I was at a fur convention, which means I was in a hotel. Which means that I can at least on one axis, if only one axis, relate to the topic at hand, Ryan.
2: Yes. Did you pick this? I picked a movie. You did. Which one? uh, This is, we're going to review for our theme, which apparently there's a theme. Based on a true story, I decided and selected Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas as a film to review. All right. Yes. So, what's the true aspect of this film? So, this has many aspects of which have said to have occurred in the year of our Lord, 1971. Bless you. Amen. So, this was a uh, – initially, the Fear and Loathing and Las Vegas is a book. Some would call it a novel. Some would call, call it a documentary into the heart and soul of the American dream. Um, I, think I, would call a, it, I think that's the subtitle. Indeed. I would call it a – grouping of papers bound by glue and with a cover with drawings by Ralph Steadman, that is also phenomenal. Um, Whatever you want to call that and label it down, you can do so. But this is a film that we uh, decided to watch and I hate movies that are based on a true story. Uh, But I wanted to focus on this film because I think it has several aspects of the genre, the idea of being based on something true. Uh, And what I'd like to dismantle as we go through this is how other people like this movie is one of the things I dislike about this movie the most. But I want to focus on what is excellent about this film, uh, what is excellent about the source material, um, and how this is...
1: And how Hunter Thompson was a real person.
2: And he was a real person, uh, with uh, real drugs in his system, consistently. Uh, And
1: real hate for Nixon.
2: Exactly. Which is where our deviation between the two of us begins. Regardless. (laughs) Regardless. Uh, I would like to talk about this film, and I hope you guys would too. I love this film. Excellent. All right. Let's
0: do it. Um, I I will say in my uh, capacity as the faux academic here, I did prefer the book. Yes. Um, which I read for the first time earlier this week and did not finish. And I watched the movie uh, the exact same week. I believe. Yeah, no, that was, yeah, it was that last, last week. week we watched it.
1: Yeah. This was interesting watching it with millennials that hadn't seen this movie because I, this is like required source material for living. I thought, yes, but we're a different generation.
2: Well, and <laughs> recreationally we spend our time much differently than I think the, a lot of our contemporaries uh, around our circle of friends do now as well. So it was rather fun to like, you know, go through and watch a film w- with them that has a lot of like cultural and, you know, um, amusement and uh, recreational aspects. It's
1: funny watching this, because I hadn't watched this this decade, but I would watched it plenty in my previous decades. Um, there is nary a line in this film that has not made it into my vernacular at some point <laughs> consistent... in the last, whenever this, 20 years since this movie came out.
2: Absolutely.
0: It's well-deserved. I mean, the, this, the book this is based on and the, the film... If we're talking about the based on a true story component of this, this film tries really, really hard to be faithful to the literature it is based on. Absolutely, uh, the narrative is and nothing a, but quotes strong, from the and book. it's a
1: strong order, like it's a tall order. You know, I think
2: no. The thing, the thing is, that, well, both the both the novel is so tightly wound. I mean, the language of it just fucking blasts off the page and smacks you in the face. You know, it is. It just wants to be read. And, and desires you to get through this very quickly. Um, and the film, I think, very truly tries to keep up with the it same kind of pace. It does keep
1: an exhaustive pace. No, yes. this
2: this thing has a kind of momentum to it that is um, very much divorced from how a lot of films think they have to, like, represent themselves or how they, you know, how you should be paced. Um, and this film just simply does not allow any sort of, you know, the, the respites in this film are like the, you know, not even peaceful parts of other films. If I
1: stop now, I'll be out for 20 hours.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, you got to keep going, right? (laughs) Because if you lock yourself into this type of adventure, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. And I just think that the seriousness with which uh, the film takes itself, uh, the seriousness with which the book takes itself, um, I find to be one of the most enjoyable aspects of this. In a a culture, you know, that is post-Seinfeld, the idea that you would be uh, entirely enthused and be unabashed in your enthusiasm is certainly the minority position uh, to hold in any kind of like social realm. And this is a film that says, no, um, perhaps the problem is that we're not taking things seriously enough um, in a kind of jocular and enjoyable way. uh, And I find that to be rather disappointing uh, in general. But this film just is going to grab you. It's and you are you're along for the ride. I mean, I really think that all people should watch this film with their parents,
1: but it's funny the thing is this this ride goes so fast, and like having read the book and you know, like knowing a lot of the hunter s background, you know, like it it like I see everything you're saying saying. Because, mm-hmm. like I, 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 lo- I love this, but you know, for someone that isn't steeped in the hunter s background, like I can see how. This would just be a whirlwind where I, what I believe one of the people watching the film with us was like, "What the fuck did I just watch?" when We are yeah. <laughs> done with it because you just, whoosh, 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 and then a lot of colors and things. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a frame of reference for it, it, it like I it'd be very hard to piece together. I right. think. Um.
0: I have so many questions I want to ask, but I don't want to derail your enthusiasm. No, man. No, you could, you, it would
2: take a lot right now. Something. <laughs> something... Ryan
1: looks about as yeah. enthusiastic as I've seen I him have, in some time. I
2: have. I have embraced. I mean, so Ryan, I've got to, uh, uh, Ryan for yeah. the
0: for the purpose of the visual storytelling here is wearing aviators inside. Yes. Um, and a hat
2: that I imagine. Animal hat. Yes, am, is, yeah. yes. Yes. Absolutely. I was on a boat yesterday, and I had to buy myself some uh, cream uh, and red and blue checkered pants uh with a blue shirt uh that had red tiny red little flowers all o- all over it you I got this all so I had like my own boating outfit that I had to That's go That's important. Yes, exactly. You know, you need you need the armor whenever you kind of endeavor a new challenge and it's David important. looks
1: really confused. I don't know. I'm
2: just trying to think of how I want to drum
0: up these questions. Um Let's go with math first as a percentage of your entire being, Ryan, how much has Hunter S. Thompson inspired who you are? So, uh, from the period
2: from about 17 years old to 23, I'd say about 73 and point two four percent or so. Right. Yeah, that absolutely, um, ensconced myself with the, uh, the, the, the language, the attitude uh, the the opinions. The uh, literal dress. Yes, the actual. I was much rather than Acapulco shirts because we are so close to Puerto Rico, Cuba, and Mexico. I used to wear the the uh, Guevara shirts, which are the ones with the four pockets, and then they have like the different designs. Oh, that's that go right, on. I remember those. Yeah, man, I used to wear things like that, and uh, this was of course back when Goodwill actually had interesting clothing, so I could get some you know polyester pants and all kinds of colors and mix and match them and you know I'd wear like rose colored glasses and my hair has always been wild the wildest part you know and it would be up and out and around and um you know but this comes after high school um when i had about uh, three shirts of differing grays of
1: they uh, were different 9 inch nine-inch nail yeah. shirts yeah so
2: i went from from black low effort goth to like peacock semi drug fueled gonzo journalist uh, in the early 2000s.
0: For the purpose of the listenership who may not know this, and frankly, for my own clarification, you two were an item during this time. Is that correct?
1: Uh, just before and afterwards. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just for the sake of the context. Yes, I, I made him the Hunter S. Thompson jacket yes. that he still wears. I, I,
2: indeed, I have a replica of <laughs> the said jacket that uh, we, we have... Uh, I think I
1: also found that Gonzo shirt for you on eBay.
2: Yes, absolutely. That's when I was worn to oblivion. <laughs> Within like three years, <laughs> The thing was toasted. Oh, that was
1: right in the middle of that independent study project that you did on Hunter S. Thompson. Yes,
2: in fact. And I made the trifold. Yes. Had, it, was the, it was the, let me just, all right. So, you know, I went to high school. I was in gifted classes and- um,
1: We were all in gifted <laughs> here, The only I the,
2: the, the thing That's that occupied- That's thread between <laughs> everyone who shows up on this stupid podcast. Absolutely. And the only thing that I devoted- energy towards in the last two years of high school was a it was a month-long project on hunter s thompson that i did for my uh, gifted class and that was that was about it that was the only thing that i fully devoted my entire being to was a uh, good work yeah, it, was, it was excellent work i actually still thorough. have i have they still have the trifolds in fact ah uh, yes no they have they've maintained themselves can we get a snapshot of that i probably the, could find those okay. out yeah absolutely yeah i
0: know we need re- an image for this Particular episode, yeah, and so. and
1: I I remember a period so you know that was around the time the movie came out so the Criterion released like the double disc special mm-hmm. feature when I was around twenty twenty one and I remember having like a full weekend to myself where I just for forty eight hours <laughs> watched every single minute of footage on this Criterion collection absolutely. and it was a very enjoyable weekend absolutely yeah
0: what was the story. Behind I mean this movie came out in ninety seven? 90? Yeah, it was ninety seven. Mm-hmm. So I mean the time period was right. What was your experience of actually seeing a visual this is the only visualization of a Hunter S. Thompson?
1: Oh no, 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 no. Is it not where the Buffalo Roam, Bill Murray in the eighties? Yeah,
2: okay. And actually, yeah.
1: Johnny Depp the, Johnny Depp later went on to play a younger Hunter S. Thompson in Rummer Diaries.
2: Which is, you could, which you could fault yourself by not saying. I would be, yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's not, it's not good. It does not have the same exuberance that fear and loathing has.
2: Yeah. And where the Buffalo Rome, which is with Bill Murray, it has a kind of like, it's less um, dramatic and it's less stylistic in the filmmaking aspect but still is kind of steeped in a kind of realism that you would experience, you know, that one would experience the Hunter S Thompson character. Yeah. Um, but it has a kind of like lo-fi charm to it that is just like really good. And then it's, um, um it's Bill Murray. So what the fuck's your problem? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. So why would, yeah. what, what's, what, what are you, what are you like better than him? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no, you're not. So, um, so but, th- but what was the, what was the mindset you rolled into the film for? No, so, all right, so it, I'd, we'd seen the film, and then I was like, no, there's books. And then I read probably every single book uh, that I could get my hands on um, within that period of time. You watched the film before you read the book. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: I liked I liked films and movies about drugs in high school, so I gravitated toward this very naturally. Okay.
2: Yeah. So we're watching like you know Drugster Cowboys, Train Spotting book uh, and movie. My favorite
1: basketball diaries book and movie. Very you know something I liked in high school. And then
2: and then you know it's like you know we like see a trailer or you see like the poster. Which by the way, when I was in high school, the only poster on my prison cell-colored walls was a was a massive
1: Oh yeah and I got you that yeah, one bat m- massive, massive, that you had on your wall Yeah I had
2: a I had a bat in my hall it was yeah man it's it's rough It's been rough
1: So we just gravitated towards this Absolutely like, Okay It just felt right Uh the movie I did want to say cuz I hadn't watched the movie this decade Right I mean the movie does feel like a 97 movie It does have a a kind of dated feel to it like comparatively now
0: It's got CGI in it it does roughly roughly rough. but
1: i mean even some of the makeups rough in it mm-hmm. you know yeah. which they knew at the time of filming that as well but you know there's it, it, it's it has a little bit of a datedness to it uh, yeah well it's just, it's just
2: something that you know you'd expect more to, you know if you're going for a movie that like wants to relay the kind of hallucinogenic experience <laughs> that these men have thrown themselves into um it holds that back a little bit you know yeah. like you're you're revealed into the world Through both like traditional filmmaking but then also um through like so the the lizard orgy scene you know is that is incredibly well done you know is it like it's once again as like a as a filmmaking exercise it is you know we know that uh dr gonzo and uh and raul duke have uh, the two main characters have are going into this situation and knowing that he's on strong hallucinogens but then that scene staged out is really well constructed before the Bane hallucination comes on and this reptile orgy like unfolds in front of your eyes. Well, that,
1: I mean, this is where we get into digress in like all the nuances of the film, even leading up to that sequence. So the most psychedelic thing in a casino is that goddamn carpet. Yes. So I, I know David has been to Las Vegas. I have. You've yes. been to Las Vegas. I've,
2: yes, I had to. Pilgrimaged.
1: Yes. And, um. So it's so great because it starts with like the carpet going mm-hmm. and then he has to talk to the lady mm-hmm. and she starts with normal and then starts getting more reptilian. And yes. then as the scene progresses, pretty soon everyone around him is a reptile, right. you know, so there's, there's like this beautiful, like kind of rise up until it gets more and more and more and mm-hmm. more chaotic. And then something has to snap and you come back and then you got to work your way up to that, you know, right. that next peak.
2: Oh, good stuff.
0: <laughs> so, but you guys came to this. I mean, the movie came out when ninety seven at, at exact. Well, yes, beyond the date, you were exactly the right age for when this movie came out. It yeah, was in this, it was in this exact time slot. In that,
1: yeah, but impressionable mo- high school era. Yes. But the
0: movie came out long after the book came out. And even to some extent, the book is sort of a reminisce of a period that died. Mm -hmm.
1: That was a period, though, that I was always very attached to in general, though. Um, So one of the things about this is I I, I was always kind of attached to that 60s kind of drug culture stuff anyways. Um, You know, in terms of like, I used to like, you know, stuff like Andy Warhol and like Velvet Underground and different stuff that came out of that culture. So I was always interested with that time period anyways. So this was a, kind of an extension of it.
2: Well, and you got to realize too that like, you know, stylistically, you know, like when I when I first met Nicole, you know, it was like over three days where it was like, you know, she has like a Harlequin skirt, you know, she has like, you know, like orange clothing. And so it's like this like, you know, like this like color uh, becomes very like attached to this, right? Yeah. So like, you know, like Andy Warhol with like a silver wig kind of approach uh, to to fashion. And you know, for someone who had like, you know, for, you know, and in, like internally, you know, like my colors were like dying and, you know, like Yeah, you wore
1: you wore the black 9 inch Nails shirts yes, like every day a, when I met and, you. And, and
2: and like, you know, like all good goths, you know, it's like a manifestation of the kind of like bland personality yeah, that you exude. <laughs> yeah, that I had like well no, that it was just like You know, the colors were kind of fading and I saw no, you know, like I didn't, I didn't know that there was something uh, that you have to like kind of put the cart before the horse sort of, sort of thing in order to get some goddamn, you know, momentum. And uh, it was, you know, seeing that it like starts stimulating my imagination and it's like, you know, like, Hey, you know, I'll go to your room and it's your fucking rooms like lab, you know, like light lavender and orange. And I'm like, you know, like, yes, like, like vibrancy color drug
1: movie posters all over.
2: Exactly. And it's like, yes, vibrancy color uh we can do this this is this is something nice and uh you know when you start you know finding these things like that are inspiring and and are trying to awaken your and and communicating the kind of vibrancy uh that you that life has um you know i wanted to like i wanted that you know like i had like i had like lost my ability to like register those kinds of things Do you actually identify with the political message of the movie slash book? So, you know, the problem is that like, I've always been a kind of ruthless prick and I have a really vicious streak of like, um, pragmatism to my politics. So, you know, I have, uh, you know, I have this bizarre kind of political philosophy anyway, but at the same time, um, you know, I believe in like Liberty, like to a very high degree. And it is important to me that we, you know, cultivate that. And I don't see in my own, and I've I've been accused of this, but I simply don't simply recognize it, that there is a kind of perhaps contradiction, um, you know, in that, uh, in my political philosophy. uh, And I just refuse, you know, I I just think, you know, people are just assholes. But I personally believe that there is no kind of reconciliation. Now, um, Hunter S. Thompson's, the fact that he despises Richard Nixon to such a high degree um, is because Richard Nixon is emblematic. Um, you know, is that is that great totem of exactly what people in the '60s identified as being wrong? Yeah, what they uh, were fighting against. Yeah, what a wrong. Well, with, he was the enemy. Yeah. Yes, and he I can, brought on
1: the drug war, and 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 he hated hippies.
2: Absolutely, but if we can measure ourselves by the strength of our enemies, um, you couldn't have picked a better enemy than Richard Milhouse Nixon. And so, in that sense, you know, in terms of aiming high. You know, pulling back that bow, you know, uh, and letting that arrow loose. Um, I really have to commend Hunter Thompson for choosing such a worthy adversary.
0: That is a twistedly romantic way to approach that.
2: No, and I've always kind of seen this as being, you know, how one should uh, kind of go with this, which is that um, if there's one thing I think you can learn by watching this movie and by learning about Hunter Thompson is that there are things to take very seriously. Um, And yourself should be one of the things that... You take least seriously of all, and that's what I think is important.
0: No, the the esprit yes. of this movie and the way that it brings itself up and then crashes mm-hmm. uh, is definite. I mean, from like you said, even from the first scene, does it does it actually start with them in the car? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Zoom. It starts no, I, with yeah, them yeah, going
1: hundred. Yeah. 100 100 miles. literally starts it with at hundred miles, miles, miles an hour
2: yeah. <laughs> um, in a convertible, top <laughs> down, down, heading east <laughs> 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 to Vegas. Fucking
1: yeah. bats. Yes. So seem soon bats enough. all
0: around. Not necessarily Dutch angles, but I, I think there was some specific aggressive direction when it came to the cinematography of oh, this yeah. movie. I remember there is actually a scene that does start with a flat shot that then tilts. Yeah, to because be you, you noticed
1: it. You're like, oh, there you go. The camera's back in the right angle. Yeah,
0: the, we lost the, it. Yeah, the camera. <laughs> the camera is aggressively unstable through the entire experience. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, no further explanation is required for why that might be an appropriate <laughs> choice. Although it does seem to have ticked off a lot of critics. It does strike me as a little odd that so many critics dislike this movie for sort of the same excuses that were given for disliking Hunter S. Thompson's original work Mm -hmm. is that it's not, it's not a novel. Yes. Unquote. The way that it was derided was essentially that it was prose poetry Mm -hmm. wrapped up in an era in a way that was not like timeless enough Mm -hmm. to quote. And this movie absolutely fits that mold. It's, it is too uncomfortable to watch. It is way too long for what happens in it. Like it fits all of these little archetypes of things that people just don't seem to like in movies, Right, which explains to a T probably Ryan, why you like it so
2: much. Well, you know, people want this thing to be something that it's not. And it's one of, the, like, the worst things that, you know, you can, when you f- go to people with movies, and especially you find this, too, because when you talk about being based on a true story, theme, theme? Correct. Yeah, we're covering being, it, yeah. Yeah, being based on a true story. Uh, you run into the same kinds of problems. <laughs> <laughs> you run into the same kind of problems where you find movies based on books, which is that people want to bring their own perspectives into um, into the thing, right? They want to bring their own interpretations and expect that to be mirrored back onto them, Um, but in anything, right, you're only dealing with someone, not someone's interpretation, someone's reflection, someone's product, and we have to kind of take it on its own terms, and I don't think people tend to want to do that, right, they don't, uh, they want to see themselves reflected in that, you know, is this the movie I would have made, uh, or is this the book I would have written? And that's all you know, who the fuck are you? You know? Like I don't uh, I don't understand. They want no. the Mary Sue.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I the person who does the right thing. So
2: I am you know, first off, the fact that, you know, someone would say, Well, this isn't a movie, you know, is there character development, right? Is there conflict? Um, you know, not in the traditional sense.
1: Well, you have to understand too, conscious expansion Man is versus not drugs yeah. for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs>
2: Right, okay, so this Yeah. So this is a drug movie, this is, this but it's is, not a fucking is, drug movie. This
1: is, yeah, but, yeah.
2: This is a movie of, with drugs.
1: Yeah, but, it, I mean, it is making a wider statement, but there's plenty of people that are low enough on openness that would never get that statement regardless of whether the movie was better than it is or the book was written more uh, like a novel than it is. I'm just
0: baffled at how many people are willing to sit down and write critically about literature or cinema that are in that camp. It seems to be a very large number of them. Right. And I wonder if that's just a measure of relatability, the fact that they became popular enough to actually be syndicated in some form of news. I know syndicated is probably the wrong verb there, but you know, to actually be broadcast in such a way because their opinions actually map to real human beings. That's right. always the expert phenomenon. The, the problem with being an expert is that you can't actually be more erudite than your audience in some way that changes your taste. Because that suddenly makes you useless as yeah. a critic. Um,
1: and see now. Hunter S. Thompson would say, "Fuck that! This is a, like you. This is a subjective thing, and like you just you need to pour what you fucking feel." Well, and, and it's it's so aggressively
0: that. subjective. Yes, it is. It and that's that's the way in which it probably flies in the face of the true story phenomenon, Ryan. You, you're my favorite line that you you constantly harp back to for this is don't tell me how to feel yes is a a true story the thing that it's got is it has implicit weight i mean we are we talked about saving private ryan which we will not review but everyone listening to this has probably watched it by now so we don't we can just refer to it as necessary i mean it's war it's fighting nazis it's there's a mom who's waiting for her son to come back we know exactly how we're supposed to feel about all that yes we don't the seriousness is injected from the outside whereas in this movie and again to an even greater extent in the book i think um the seriousness is it is an act yes but that's that's all take, like you don't need more than that. It's that's, all a
2: goddamn act,
0: man. Yeah, you'd, yeah. You'd, that's, that's
2: more than sufficient to be worth the drive. Saving Private Ryan is one of the most vicious acts ever perpetrated on the human species, okay? <laughs> it is simply something, right? The idea that, you know, the fact that the Normandy invasion is this amazing, amazing human endeavor, right? That it contains within it tens of thousands of uniquely tragic human stories. Yeah. Um all of the weight of history and civilization that bears on that moment in time cannot make Saving Private Ryan a better movie, and that's something I don't like. That has that has absolutely nothing to do with that. That is a a relatively mediocre has, well, war film. If we're getting well, if we're <laughs> like, getting back to, to if like, we're getting back to film,
1: <laughs> you know, it's because it's it's because of the way the messages is produced, and you know, if you don't want somebody to tell you how to feel. Spielberg is not your director Spielberg is there to tell you exactly how to feel Mm -hmm. in all of the moments within his film. That's right. Whether you want to feel that way or not.
0: And it could be argued that that is his strength as a director.
1: And that's probably why a lot of people watch his films. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we're not a lot of people. And neither was Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> well, and, when we,
2: and when you begin to, right. So I think one of the, one of the essential things that we have that would be problematic with reviewing uh, fear and loathing in any sort of conventional sense is, is that there's a, uh,
1: you're getting the cadence pretty good. Is
2: that, is that there's a problem with the nature of conflict within this, right? The idea of, well, who and what is the driving force behind their this actions? Is, this
1: is a, this is a culture conflict. And that's like that. Okay. There's so many, there's, there's so, there's so deep much. Deep breaths,
2: deep breaths, sunny boy. I don't know how
1: far out I want to rant, but no, this is a movie about, cult. this is a conflict with fucking culture and yes. culture is not your fucking friend. And the hippies fucked us over because that wave came crashing down in, you know, their psychedelic development mm-hmm. because Nixon was a, you know, worthy fucking foe and took mm-hmm. them on. But like this fight this fight still fight like yes. this, There, there's still fight here and there's still like that underground culture that is or there's still like the underground that is fighting culture like yes. and there's and still an
0: v- entirely visceral hatred of hippies
1: <laughs> there is there is and that's why the next psychedelic movement is having to approach this differently because they're never going to break through with i obviously it failed in the 60s yeah but i mean this movie the conflict is a, is is a it's the conflict is against culture
2: yes absolutely well that but then
1: and that's a great fucking adversary and people the fact that people don't realize that culture is not their friend that is the terence mckenna quote um right i didn't make that up that is that is terence mckenna's fucking you know gift to the world is enlightening people that culture is not their friend um like the fact that you can't that that there are people that can't see that culture is not their friend like this movie will never speak to them like right. there's no way that you can you can divulge that message and and get them to understand that because they don't see it as the enemy but hunter saw that as the enemy and that's what that's what the conflict is in this movie
2: no it's it's so, for so many people culture is simply something that they can wipe wrap themselves in and not have to worry about It's part of them. They don't even see
1: that they're separate, that they can be separate from it. Like they they fall into place. It tells them what to do.
2: Well, and that they they find themselves also taken up within this, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way that, you know, uh, people would see like Hunter Thompson or or Dr. Gonzo going through being absolutely addled on all kinds of substances and incapable of controlling themselves. Um, That is also how people go through life by allowing their culture and the values imposed upon them to make those decisions for them as well. I mean, they're, they're as equally out of control in the way that they behave things, right? And this is something when, you know, the, the, well, the film doesn't open with the car sequence, right? The film initially opens with some shots of, you know, protests of Vietnam going on, about civil rights fi- uh, fights, and you see the inherent violence, and in fact, the first images were seen is this like blood splattering across the screen, showing us that violence is a part of this culture, right? Violence is a part of American culture. And the violence that's underlying a lot of our society and the values that glorify it um, is something that we've become accustomed to and unaware of, right? And that's what is, you know, like the fact that they are out of control. um, You know, shit, man, there is no captain here. You know, like this, this whole fucking experiment is... Just out of control. Well, the venue in which this takes place, Las Vegas. Goddamn! Pl- have you have you been to this place, listener?
0: You've been to this place. Las Vegas is supposed to be where you take vacations. Unbelievable! It's supposed to be the place where you go for a respite from the grinding machinery of your life. Oh man! And, and you go Vegas there. This is a fucking and, grinding and machine. Mach- and the
2: machines are even larger and more bombastic than they are back home. There are only two places in this world that is more contemptible and harsh to the human experience than Las Vegas. One is the Mariana Trench uh, and the other is Vladivostok, Russia, which we'll get into later. But those places are horrible to be and Vegas is nothing but a respite. It is nothing. It is, it is absolutely a terrible place. Horrible place. Uh, and I can't wait to go back.
0: What's, what's the most fun thing about Vegas? Leaving. Is getting even more capital. Yeah. <laughs> is further... But look, I'm not. I'm not about to knock that myself. I've been there many times. Not, I grew
1: grew up there. Essentially, I summered in Vegas. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I
0: mean, granted, it was a familial thing a yeah. lot of the time. But no, I have a gambling addiction. That's fine. That's well documented on this podcast. Yes, <laughs> but it's you take you take a car, you take a car load of drugs mm-hmm. with you. That should theoretically jive exactly with what Vegas is supposed to be. Vegas is supposed to be a carefree zone where, I mean, there is the allure of making money, sure, but also the opulence of it is, that's the allure. And drugs are supposed to be a heightening of those kinds of things. And yet all they do is notice how unlike the drugs they love Vegas actually is Mm -hmm. as soon as they start looking at anything in Vegas, Mm -hmm. like the promise of Vegas is what they they're driving exactly the right car. They're in exactly the right mindset for all of it. They're snazzed up reporters with an alias going into this, like, you know, they're infiltrating the mint for the mint 400 (laughs) (laughs) for a photo shoot. (laughs) Like, Like that is, they they are in a savage pursuit of the American dream. And it's just not, it's not there. No, it's it's not. It's just a hellhole when they get there. Um, And the worst, most damning parts of it require no drugs at all. They go through circus circus, I think is maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie. They have, they have like the act where they're like throwing a baby.
1: Well, they're Mm -hmm. on ether during that one. Yeah.
2: But I mean, but once again, I mean, Vegas is a, is an intentional construct created by humans who were not on drugs. I mean, yeah. this is the shocking thing to me, no, right? No, exactly. Like, that's, is cir- an art- the circus that's,
0: doesn't require the drugs to
2: look ridiculous. No, it no, doesn't. No, and that, and, that, and that this has all been inspired by people, you know, not on hallucinogens, All right, Not yeah. trying to create this kind of experience. Uh, <laughs> but the whole manipulative aspect behind it is the idea that people would go to Vegas and, and like you said, as a respite, right? That this is somehow relieving you from the burdens of modern American life <laughs> rather than blatantly... <laughs> exposing and
1: plainly ex- uh, 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 playing into your pathetic ex- vices to exploit you—the weakness of few, human nature. What few fucking dollars you have to spend on a vacation?
2: Yes. Oh my God! In the hopes of getting more. Yeah. Make oh, me always
1: rich, make me very <laughs> the rich. Hope,
2: the hope, the hope, of this thing. Oh.
1: Oh, it's a miserable hope. I've, I've, I've experienced like the people that live on that end, and that's that's a depressing existence.
2: Yes.
0: But then you can go back up to your hotel room and chill in the bathtub. And
2: uh... I just, I, as I was continually wandering around that town, I was just surprised that, and continually had to remind myself that this is somehow all legal, right? This is somehow all allowed, yeah, permitted, if not well. Encouraged. It's like
1: it's like legal but heavily regulated. Like so, it's still like a simulation to some extent because you couldn't get away with doing what they did now.
2: Well no the, yeah the well the, only because drinking the campaign against drunk driving has gone away right the idea that you know we've come so hard down on the kind of consequences right I guess the whole they point did the whole Merrill point Water is recently. to be irresponsible mm-hmm. right cuz what is it what is vegas what is our tagline right what happens in vegas
1: stays in vegas yes
2: right so you can come here right unleash yourself right onto these unholy mechanisms and somehow come back a better person give me a fucking break like, this is just some place where we go and purge our, our, our horribleness and then somehow we can come back from this as if nothing's happened to us. So what did Terry Gilliam and crew do to
0: achieve that recognition? of? Uh, so, although I mean, you just have to go
2: there, right? You just so that's,
0: that's all it took? Is that why? I mean, according to the Wikipedia article, they had a hell of a time trying to put this movie together.
2: Yes. Well, I mean, you know, you can imagine working with the source material and that's not exactly a, you know... Organized, constructive process. I'm sure
0: yeah, there was some point at which Jack Nicholson was going to be. I think uh, Scorsese was involved in oh one of yeah, the uh, no, projects. Yeah, no,
2: no. I mean, we want to talk about potential movie wet dreams, right? <laughs> the idea of Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando as like... Duke and Dr. Gonzo. <laughs> is one. You know, directed by Stanley Kubrick. I mean, no. I mean, yes. I would. I mean, I have had you know many, many a, a wet dream fantasy in my in my dreams about such endeavors, but it was unfortunately not to be. But we got in the end Johnny Depp. Benicia del Toro and a money and a cast person of the Monty Python. To yeah, no, I, I think
1: it was a good combo. I don't think
2: we did. I don't, there's, there's not a lot wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: well, okay. So the thing is, you're trying because they obviously, as someone who's like very familiar with Vegas, they obviously filmed this movie in Vegas, but they had you know the problems of a. It still needed to be 70s Vegas so you're mm-hmm. limited in like which hotels were still viable from that period. Yeah. And then you know under the hallucination effects. So like that circus circus scene, that is I can ver- that is at Circus Circus, but there are a lot of things that they had to like CGI and change because like the big the big clowns is Bazoo's or Bazooka Circus. Yep. So, you know, like starting there, you're like that that is the real circus circus line but that's not the name of that mm-hmm. place and then you know yes in circus circus they have the big um the the trapeze artists going in the middle and they do the shows you know while you're going around the gaming uh, area but the show that they showed was very different than the types that are there when you actually watch it because you know you're under the ether effects so right. the one that they're watching is like something with like they're birthing a baby and they've got to cut the umbilical cord right. and it's really weird. This is Wolver-
2: w- rabid wolverine. Yeah, they're, they're again back
1: you,
0: and forth. You told you suggested that that may not actually happen and that's really disappointing. No, mm.
1: no, there is people doing circus acts in that thing, but they're not like they're not birthing babies from what I remember as part of the circus circus act. Why not? I don't know. Because, well, it is supposed to be kids-friendly. And the carousel bar... What could
0: be more kid-friendly than children? The carousel (laughs) bar, that is
1: a real bar. Yeah. And the games that are all around the outside console... Um, the games are similar, but not exactly the same as the yes, ones there's that no, are there. there's no
2: throw the syringe into the junkie.
1: No, what's funny is, but they do have like, you know, you shoot the water into the clown's mouth, but then they have the clowns are all like weird and, and fucked up looking where like, you know, when you go there, they're just like the normal clowns. So it's, it's, it's very similar, but then like a lot is transposed on
0: it. But uh, I like, I like those <laughs> very specific, um the facade of fiction is is just sprinkled on top of this yeah. like they were yeah. able to do it on location and they did not change much and the things that they do cha- they did change are basically the butts of jokes they're not yeah. actually they're not actually mechanically different no. from what you're doing in any of these places no they're
1: not like that's like i said that is circus circus and that's what you do you go on the carousel bar you play a couple of games and you watch the circus act that goes in the middle of it like that is the same they're just There's kind of like the superimposed, you know, hallucinatory state on things, so that everything looks like it's going through.
0: You got your Romana Clay going on. (laughs) For
1: (laughs) everything looks like it's going through a funhouse mirror, but it isn't a real place. You know,
2: (laughs) look the thing has the thing has pulled back the veneer, right? Yeah, it's it's shown us the demented possibilities and influence of this place. Right, it has revealed it to us in all of its glory. Ryan, are
0: you suggesting that the veil of drugs is unveiling reality? Oh, my God. So, I
2: would like to talk about drugs. You're the floor. Excellent. So, all right, when you initially meet someone who is enthusiastic about this movie, right, you need to pay very close attention to the first five minutes in which they speak about it, right? If they talk about drugs in some sort of way or manifestation of it being cool or how neat would it be, uh, you're not missing the point. Like, for anyone who has any sort of experience um and I'm not admitting anything here, right but for anyone who has any sort of experience in the kinds of substances that they talk about, uh, there is simply no way physically that people could endure the situations that the, that those two have put themselves in right and that's not the point right the the idea of excess um the theme well, break. the theme of excess right that is within this that encapsulates the characters themselves, right is part of what it wraps up through this, right? They have determined themselves, right? Steeled themselves against the possibilities of what they're going to face. And they have decided that the best protection, the most incisive armor that they could have on themselves for this mission is an absolute cavalcade of drugs in order to get them through this, right? And when we see, or when we are told, of their experiences and all of the different little situations that become almost small set pieces to reveal piece by piece brick by brick this torrid and horrid place that is Las Vegas and how it comes to exemplify all of what this is meant to be a metaphor for in this country we have to kind of recognize that it is merely a mechanism and not anything that is meant to be taken entirely literally and when you are able to Allow a person who has seen this, right, when you are able to, in a sense, age them, perhaps a decade in the conversation to explain this to them, right, then they can begin to take a look at this film and say, all right, yes, there is drug use, right, but let's move beyond it. Let's see where exactly this film and how it's commenting on this. And I would like to offer some several words of advice to people listening to this who think this is about drugs. First off, we've already talked about the fact that this has, in a sense, a, a commentary on what they're exposed to in Vegas. Second thing is is that this is a film based in a particular time, in a particular place. And yet, it, the particular place, right, is America, right? During the 19, late 60s and early 70s, right, we see a period of what is seen as progress that is suddenly retrenched due to someone who is uniquely emblematic of the darkest forces of American culture. Not only that, right, but then they go to a place that is seemingly about a... Con- about the condensed nature of that and how they confront it in two main areas through basic, uh, you know, interaction with the casinos, and then through a convention of district attorneys that has picked of all places, right, Las Vegas to come and hold their law and order temp seminar in. When we look at those main interactions themselves, right, they can begin to kind of paint this larger picture about what these guys are confronting. and. When you have determined not to simply flow, not to simply go along with the momentum, not to accept blindly the values that this massive sausage-making fucking mechanism is trying to grind you into, right? You have to have a whole lot of momentum and personal motivation to go against that, right? As they say, this is only a mission for people who are chock full of grit, right? And we have that, yes, we have that. And I want to emphasize to people, right, that when you are trying to see and challenge things within yourself, right, that is what you have to try to do, right. You have to be brutal, right. You cannot, you cannot simply. If you're, this is this is a podcast about self improvement, right. You guys have just gone on a mission, a month long mission yourselves, right, in order to find something to improve upon and make yourself better as a person who can accomplish what they want to accomplish in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be ruthless with yourself, right? You have to be brutal, right? You guys were going to punish yourselves. <laughs> you did not go through with this. Obviously
0: you didn't listen to last week's podcast, but we'll assume that's all true for the sake of the story. Excellent. Argument. Yes. So well, I, just, I
1: followed through with the mission.
0: Exactly, right? Because you've David, got grit, yeah, goddammit. Yeah,
1: David found a loophole. Well, it,
0: <laughs> listen to last week's podcast if you want to learn about that, but in what, in are, any we, case. Uh, uh, are you a lawyer? What? what is going on? What has happened? I'm trying to let you proceed with your thought, even though there is actually, in some letter of the law capacity, an issue with it. But that's okay for the purpose of what we're talking about. Good. Okay.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, one of the best things about this film um, are these little nuanced interactions. So, I think perhaps the best way to move forward with this um, would be to. Some of your favorite scenes. Um, I want to talk initially about uh the Lucy character. Um, so we can go ahead and go into that real quick. Um, and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay, sound good? Yep. Okay. All right, oh, cool. so
1: we're gonna talk about the movie?
2: Yeah. Yeah, wow. this, is, okay, this is a movie. Aye. Excellent. All right. So um starring Johnny Depp. Yeah, starring Johnny Depp. Um so one of the scenes in the movie, uh Dr. Gonzo, who is uh, uh Raul Duke's attorney, uh his partner in crime throughout this film, uh uh, he has left uh, in some amazing rift in the space-time continuum. Has managed to head back to LA and fly back into Vegas the, the over ti- this weekend. The
1: timing works. The Excellent. timing works because uh, it only takes an hour to fly from uh, LA to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And where Johnny Depp was, he was about two hours out. If mm-hmm. he had already reached Baker and would have taken so. We're looking at like four to six hours travel time for right. Johnny Depp versus one hour travel. So it'd be tough, but he could fly back and forth in the time that Johnny Depp drove Absolutely. to Baker. Yeah. And I was thinking about that, actually.
2: So one of the most difficult things when you have to kind of talk to, uh, to pe- people in general about this film. Normies. Yeah. Is that there are a lot of victims, right? That, that, they're, that these men perpetrate much on the people, the town, the locals that they encounter. Um, and that absolutely is the case, right? They, there are no innocents in this film, and they pre- do not pretend to be innocents. And uh, one of the people that gets that gets found out or wrapped up in this um, is uh, a young girl named Lucy, played by... Uh, Christina Ricci. Yeah, Christina Ricci in this film. Um, Dr. Gonzo has met her on a plane, um, and she is an artist who exclusively paints portraits of Barbara Streisand and when Raúl Duke goes into his new suite to cover the uh, district attorney's conference that is in the hotel where they're staying at, um, he finds Lucy who attacks him <laughs> in the in the hotel. Bites his ankle. You know, bites his ankle. In uh, in uh, the uh, the suite is f- f- littered, filled with these portraits of Barbara Streisand. Um, Doctor Gonzo comes out after seeing him previously as this most manic figure, right? Pantless, tripping I on love- acid. He comes
1: on. It, like the robes yes, that he is he's is now the picture, the
2: picture of serenity, right? Like,
1: Well, he looks like some kind of fucking chic mm-hmm. comes out in these like some sort of makeshift robe situation like out of the shower. He's mm-hmm. got some young girl tripping out on acid. Yeah,
2: not 12 hours before... Yeah. We've had to lock him in the bedroom because he's been wielding a fucking Bowie knife around a room, shrieking and hollering. I mean, as as a minor
0: aside, Doctor Gonzo's character is easily my favorite in the entire affair. Just yes, because he is he, he is on paper a a man of authority. He's a he, yeah. He's a lawyer. Like yeah. he's a lawyer. This man is my attorney. Yeah, he's, extre- <laughs> he's extremely <laughs> valuable to me, in spite <laughs> of his racial handicap. In, in a dozen places in this movie, he expressly insists. That people do what he says based on an authority that he is wielding under obscene influence. Yes. Yeah. Um. As your attorney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as an attorney.
1: He just has a brazen confidence about him in all situations. He does, and
0: it's it's been systematically validated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is a high class attorney. Mm-hmm. He's allowed to do whatever the fuck he wants, mm-hmm. and almost I don't know that anything he ever says. Is actually legal advice. Right. I'm no, pretty sure I, it is I, always I, just leverage. I, I'm
1: pretty sure that's that's accurate.
2: Mm-hmm. He's playing. He's playing the game. But it's it's part of the kind of enjoyment of the film as well that you that once again the motivations because when you, you know you talk to me about about people about movies where drugs is a is a formative element, right? Um, if you've never had a powerful insistence for drugs in your life. Like, you you wake up and you have a burning need to accomplish something that day and it might just be imbibing a certain chemical so that you could then spend the rest of the day doing absolutely nothing but enjoying yourself. And for the people who don't understand the like powerful fucking motivating force that is that, I could understand how they would like, once again, like when they watch this movie, and they're like, where's the conflict, right? And the movie gives several different answers to that, right? They're supposed to go. They're gonna. They're going there to meet Savage Henry, right? This fucking heroin dealer that's ripped him off, right? And we're gonna fucking rip his lungs out, right? Uh, no, uh, that's sure. Sure, whatever. I and mean, the, movie, like, oh.
0: the movie's about that every once in a while. They, t- they mention it maybe 30 seconds total throughout the movie. Yes, an because that when that's... anyone asks, what
2: are you doing here, right? And it's like, my God, man, we're doing the Mint 400, right? It's like the Kentucky Derby and the Super Bowl and the Lower Oakland <laughs> Derby finals all wrapped into one. You know, like, that's what we're here. Are we here to... Are in we here certain to, circles. Yeah, exactly. In certain circles, yeah. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> but that it's... um right it is a very powerful statement that the only motivation you need is the desire to see something through right that's the only fucking motivation you need and any sort of like external validation um or you know is simply unneeded right if it's important to you right if it's necessary to you um that's all that is required of it right but it's i mean it's just interesting because if you put If you put a character or some sort of theme into a movie like this, it becomes like one of the most wildly popular things about that film. For example, like the Joker is clearly the best fucking superhero villain, supervillain in in film and comic book history because he fucking needs. He just has to do do something and there's no fucking external validation. There's no logic or rationality that we could plan out to know. He's not held back
1: by culture. Yeah,
2: he doesn't. Thank you. Yes, he is McKenna's realization of the fucking superhero genre. And it becomes something that's like wildly popular that people are like, yes, this is fucking cool. But when you base a movie or have a the-, uh, the main guy or, or, or motivating narrative force of the film be that, right? Suddenly that's a little bit too, it's a, it's a little too much. It, it, it's
0: a matter of where you're standing because the Joker the bad guy. To who? Mr. Gonzo is not the bad guy in this movie.
2: No. Well, not, yeah, they, they aren't either, right? Like, yeah, the, yeah, the enemy—they're yeah, exactly. the
0: protagonists. Yes,
2: and that's the problem, right? I mean,
0: that no—that's that, what I'm saying. Is the Joker's allure is that, <laughs> that that kind of caprice?
2: Yes, is an attractive form of evil. Right. It is not an attractive form of good. No, but that fucking pompous goddamn rubber man in a rubber bat suit—I just was so waiting, for him, that, so waiting for him to get taken down. All this
1: Batman stuff is overrated. So waiting for
2: him to get taken down. Anyways, it, so, so Dr. Gonzo. I mean, he's been Gonzo. taken down in the comics like 80 times. Good, so, okay. You know, Dr. Gonzo comes
1: shit. out in his wonderful robes. Yes,
2: he's, <laughs> he's brought Lucy with him. And so, but unfortunately, Lucy, um, right, they're going to come down. He's going to, we're going to get, we're going to meet up with Barbara, right? Like, like Dr. Gonzo could actually make this happen. It doesn't matter, right? Oh, I
1: know Barbara from way back. Oh, yeah.
2: We used to romp with her, you know, like we could, <laughs> um, so, um, so Dr. Go- uh, Dr. Gonzo is escorted into the hallway, uh. By uh, by Mr. Duke, and they are in a conversation about how exactly this is fucking, this is fucked up. You know, like, we got this, like, underage girl here. I mean, do you realize that- Do you
1: know what you've even done to her? Yeah,
2: exactly. Are you aware that, you may, you know, like, what you've, you know, no, I have no idea. And so he's got to, like, convince them that this is, we've got to get rid of her. um And they realize that they have to do this, and they fucking just, you know, give her some more acid, put her in a hotel room, and just, like, ditch her off with her, right? We're done with her. We've got to be done- we've got fucking things that we're supposed to do here today and so when they get back to their hotel after the conference they realize that Lucy's called them and Dr. Gonzo's solution to the problem is that this poor young girl has called them on acid and he's essentially like stages a break-in over the phone with her like they've come to like take her down but what is so fucking strange about this is that the universe that they've kind of created that this there is this fucking present sense of like danger uh, that there is this paranoia that they felt within this I mean once again, there is like no indication of any like actual authority um within Vegas that they kind of like encounter, right There's like the hotel people who are just seemingly like just barely aware that these guys have to have something you know like like more shrimp cocktails and a, another twelve grapefruit, like yes, that sounds excellent. There's that bell clerk, yeah, the bell clerk there's um there's the hotel manager who's Like, we think is an authority figure, but it's... No, no, we just want to meet the largest... You know, he's just a good account holder. When will he be awake? You know, like, um, there's a cop, which we'll get into later, uh, on the highway outside of Vegas. Um, But other than that, like, the whole idea of there being, like, authority...
1: No, but it... it, Yeah. Well, and then Gonzo, I think, is... I mean, I don't... He's not the antagonist, but he's definitely... You know, he probably has your most jokery qualities because, you know, even at the end, Thompson they cr- has to kind of self-regulate because they have the interaction with the waitress. And, yes. you know, he realizes that, you know, what he's doing is now affecting other people. Mm-hmm. And like what Gonzo's doing is now like damaging other people. And it needs to be like, not I don't want to say toned back, but it needs to be redirected. That's, yeah. a, that's a hard scene to
0: read. Um because it and I'm I know I'm being slightly unfair comparing it to the book. No, no, that's fine. Since the premise of what we're doing here is the film. The film portrays what happens there in a much more stark manner and it makes it I mean, it's it's not an act anyone ought to condone like mm-hmm. nothing about what happened in that diner was okay yeah. that was mis- that was, it's just that was like Dr. They, Donzo being
1: no it's just like what they do with Lucy though isn't necessarily okay when they run into her at the end mm-hmm. in the movie you know it's it's in that same vein of it's like okay we are kind of you know like our excess is pouring over and kind of damaging other things and we need to but get the fuck out of here but that's the thing that
0: that form of the damage doesn't happen at the beginning of the movie no. Lucy and the diner happen after they've gone through Vegas. Yeah, Vegas has happened to them as well. It's not just drugs. Also, there's really no indication the drugs started on the way to Vegas, mm-hmm. either autobiographically or <laughs> within the film. You get a strong feeling that they're they're high constantly, regardless. Yeah. So this this may be a greater dose than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do seem to have a carefree attitude in their spare time, but I don't think Gonzo is threatening waitstaff most of the time. It feels like that was supposed he, to
1: be the point. Okay. He feels like someone who could do that though. I mean, he's someone that, you know, defends uh, Satan worshiping child molesters, you know? Yeah. So he's, he's probably pretty lax on. I'm not saying he, I'm not saying yeah. he's
0: incapable of it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying maybe this brought it out of it. Maybe this is in fact the aftermath of it. Cause that, that scene is, and I mean, that's, that is a hallmark of decent literature: is having a scene mm-hmm. like that that is so morally confused. And again, yeah. I feel like the book was murkier about it than the film yes. in in some ways. Uh, that that they don't justify what Gonzo did, but it makes more sense in like a headspace fashion mm-hmm. uh, than it does in the film. And the film is very stark that way. Um, I, I and I guess since I already segued into that, I um, I want to cover. The, the aspect of this movie being about drugs right. in the context of the book being about politics. right? Um, because having just recently over the last week read the book and watched the film, I completely understand mm-hmm. why that joke exists. Because if you do just watch the film, it makes perfect sense that you would think it's just about drugs. Mm-hmm. Because the cinematography is exclusively about drugs. Mm-hmm. Because the diatribes... In the narrative are all the comedic points about drugs. A lot, a lot of the prose mm-hmm. of the original book is just the dialogue in this movie, because mm-hmm. um, there's a constant um, ethereal narrator mm-hmm. done by Johnny Depp. Um, yeah, throughout the entire throughout the entire movie. Yeah, um, and it covers a lot of the major words, but a lot of the words that it leaves out are the political ones. And it's something that it's, it's the thing that I really think the film is missing. And maybe this is just my feeling on it. I don't know. And again, I, I don't have the, <laughs> I can't map the drug experience to what's going on on screen. And it makes me feel like I'm missing like a layer of comparison for what I should be feeling about it. Okay. But the, but the way that the book goes up and down and the way the film go up and down, don't, they don't align for me when they trough. Mm-hmm. Because when the book simmers down, you know, it starts at hundred miles an hour. Yeah. They start, they start, and then it comes down. That's when Hunter S. Thompson starts reminiscing about why he's doing this in the first place. Yeah. And it goes into these beautiful, beautiful little screeds about a long, a, an era that died, you know, they were not rebels without a cause. They yeah. were rebels with a fucking cause. And that was not enough, and they've lo- and, and, and then that's too fucking depressing. So he goes back into it yep. to search for it again, and I just don't feel like the movie gives you that.
2: Yeah, there's there's about I think this is the, the two famous monologues. Like the book, the book is heartbreaking yeah. a lot of the time. You well, know? and and there's um like you said, there's a lot of like reminiscence about that, right? Well, where and then I that. guess
1: the way they approach it too, because one of in one of the screeds, it's that whole scene where he's reminiscing back to being in the '60s, and then. But they kind of, it gets cute at the end where it's like they have Flea licking the acid off his sleeve and then they show the straight-laced guy and it's like, oh, that guy will always... You know, like... It it kind of presents it more as a drug issue than a culture issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that that scene is supposed to be more. The <laughs> it's arguably I mean, it's more basically... me mean- spirited in the book. Yeah, yeah. and it is in the film. Mm-hmm. The film just makes it look like an encounter. Yeah, and the bell the bell clerk's actually the same way. The bell clerk is not presented as this fantasy of the bell clerk telling this cop off. Um, that was that was thoroughly dramatized in the film in a way that almost seemed a little weird. Mm-hmm. But but no, I mean I don't I haven't do, read the, the book recently
1: guys, though, so I it's hard for me to to compare I I'm like, just
0: saying I don't fault people for seeing this as being a 2-hour movie about drugs.
1: No, well that's what I was saying earlier. Like I somebody that doesn't already have the cultural context for this, watching this movie isn't going to help them understand it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if you already understand it, it's like a beautiful depiction of, you know, the 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 <laughs> rise and fall of a cultural wave that, you know, that Thompson was on, you know, through the 60s and 70s, but you like you have to have some sort of kind of connection to see it because the movie, like you said, if you're not if you're not already aware of it, the movie's not going to convince you that there's a bigger meaning there. Like but if you've already read the book, you kind of you you know that this is about politics as well, so
0: and yet, but you guys didn't need that. So this is so we'd watch. A lot I of see the, it.
1: I see it in the movie, but like I said, it's hard to separate but guys, all the. You guys said you I watched
0: have. the film before you read the yeah. book. Yeah. No, so, yeah. look,
2: this look, this movie is. But not, I was
1: also very familiar with that that era too. You're so primed. like I said, when it you know okay. when when he I guess that's fair when that's he goes up and then he you know he when it kind of troughs and he starts kicking back to like you know what's going on around him like i i already had kind of a sense of that history that i could bring to okay. this
2: right. yeah so but this movie is unlike like i think some of the comments we saw afterwards right this movie is unlike anything a lot of like a lot of people come into contact with right the 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 lack of narrative structure the lack of following traditional rules the of momentum char- of character interaction and the you, fucking unyielding you,
0: you have to go outside the united states to find other movies like yes
2: this. and for most americans that's fucking anathema to their normal media consumption <laughs> yeah so right find fucking a fucking a man so you know you can imagine some you know poor 15 year old child right uh, you know home on a weekend flipping through the channels that, that comes across this movie um This, I think the point of this film is not to be able to encapsulate, you know, what that, what that, because the novel itself is brief and it fucking reads like a tornado anyway, you know, like, yeah, you just roll through that thing. The, The audible version of it is six hours long. Wow. I can, I've. I I read I read through seventy five pages the other night when I couldn't sleep between two and three a.m. You know like yeah. I fucking yeah I just it's a stint yeah I just um I roll through this fucking novel and as a lot of his other writing is that way as well um you know my brother who is not you know he, uh, um not a reader in, yeah hugely in, into like reading um you know I got him the other the other best thing that Hunter Thompson's done which is his um on the campaign trail seventy two. Um, and that clocks in at just over four hundred and fifty pages. And that shit you can you can read that in in a week or two. like no problem whatsoever. And it has the same kind of, you know, energy and momentum behind it, while, of course, not needing to have it be about like drugs in order to capture that kind of spirit. Um, so when you like are, you know going through and seeing this, I don't I think the that Gilliam and Depp, having made this movie while while Thompson was alive, were aware that they were not going to be able to capture the nuance of this, right? You figure you got two and a half fucking hours to make a film that, at, at the most, right, of what we could do with this. How are we going to do it with a limited budget? And I think that that's what they wanted to do, right? They wanted to make a film that when someone saw it and was wanting something different, right, that this would, this would you know, be this marker, right, be this fucking beacon that says, hey, you know, there's something, there's something else here. Right, there's something beyond this point um, that can show you and and try and and present to you something that's fucking different than what you know that cult you know than what Vegas will pretend to be for you and that is I think what this film does really well is the is the fact that it is rather uncompromised that it isn't classically good film um and I would argue that in fact it is um you know I could understand arguments that say it's not a good movie Right, that it does lack the ability to build a connection with, you with a more universal nature. Yeah, there's definitely a more yeah universal I, human audience. I, and mind. I don't think oh, they were trying to a reach a universal.
1: Movie. Yeah, I'm well, it's stretch. funny now that I think about it. Lou had mentioned because Lou really likes this movie too, but he hates a lot of the connotations that come with liking it because it gets perceived as a drug movie and a lot of the kind of like references or the people you run into that oh. say they really like it, who all, are just... Oh
2: my God. Yeah.
1: You know, <laughs> that 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 is that does become a problem to a certain extent when people can't, you know, uh, separate like the purpose of the drugs from what the actual message and what the destruction of the American dream and culture is that he was trying to, you know, basically hash out on this trip
0: across time and space, the worst enemy of every subculture is its members,
2: yeah, yeah. so <laughs>
1: yeah so this this suffers from that as well, yeah yeah
2: no it's unfortunate because this thing like I said just it has it has a depth to it that comes across uh to me because I am aware i've you know I have been down into those depths and i can I can see that I, I can see those illusions I can see and feel the um, like you mentioned, in those, especially in those two monologues and those two, you know, sequences where we re- where we're kind of revealed, um, you know, those that that poignancy that he that he feels and relates to, but you know, it's feeling that poignancy that, like you said, fucking bounces him back into yeah uh, where he is, and
0: yeah, he's got nowhere else to go. Uh, it is <laughs> in having in having so um, effectively explicated why all of this mania is necessary he is driven back into it mm-hmm. because it's too it's too much to bear having to there's nowhere to go
1: yeah. he's trapped
0: mm-hmm. um, the and only way to go what, is the only way to go is forward
1: and that's why you need drugs yeah that's why people like him Need drugs. Well, so like, that's why normal
2: people need Vegas. Yeah. No, I mean, because this is like, and that's
1: why he needs drugs to do Vegas. <laughs> yes. It's,
2: it's it's. But once again, right? The, the the savage journey into the heart of of the American dream. You know, there's there's two simultaneous journeys, right? There's there's the journey to Vegas and the whole obscenity of what the American dream is that is represented by Vegas. But then there's his own journey into his own American dream. And of course, the tragedy of it is that he's realized that it is fucking gone. Yeah, right? that it that it that, that, that his, dream yeah, has That his died dream is gone, and that you know you fucking realize that as you, you know, as you as you experience this film and see this, and it's, I mean, it's just it's just so surprising that it is, you know, that that this film has such a con like I said that unfortunate connotation to go along with it because. Um, you know, all you need to do is is literally scratch below a very accessible and fun and enjoyable uh surface in order to fucking allow and allow you know, like I said, the whole, the whole idea that like, you know, that like a serious writer would like make this, you know, I was like this is all like you know, you gotta realize like a little like sixteen year old Ryan Riley, you know, is a little about the same height. Yeah, a little sixteen <laughs> year old yeah, Ryan Riley is like a younger. A you know, younger Ryan Riley is um you know discovers this and is like this is fucking eye-opening to me you know like um and like i said for someone who needed um energy for someone who needed motiv- uh, a little bit of motivation man this thing has it in spades this thing's got enough energy to uh you know you can live off the fumes for this thing for several years afterwards do you think appreciating this movie can be taught i think that you the one the one characteristic um that would really help someone to to be open to learning about this um is a fucking really savage need for their own like l- liberty in thought um i think you have to really want something different than what's being offered and while that isn't to say that you will perhaps adopt everything or 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 find like stylistically you know the the aesthetic of this as being something that is your cup of tea Um, I think for someone who is, you know, who has, you know, for someone who's lost, like I said, right. For someone who knows that they're not being satisfied by this, um, you know, I think that this could be something you could relay to someone and have them begin to see that this is a possible answer for that, even if it's not the answer for you. So just to maybe just to edify our dear listeners here, um, this is, uh, something about, uh, Hunter S. Thompson is what we've come to know as a a style of journalism called gonzo. Which he invented in this book. Theoretically, yes. Yes, he absolutely (laughs) did. Um, There had been some – so in the 60s, there was a kind of movement around writers who were covering actual events. And so this comes back to where I, I think that this whole idea of being based on a true story is where we can kind of round out. I was there. Exactly. Yes, I was there. Right, this might have happened. It probably did happen, right? Did These guys. Are, so here's here's the basis, right? Is this movie based on a true story, right? Did Hunter Thompson and his lawyer, at some point in time, take a drug-addled trip from L.A. to Vegas, abuse the locals, right? Harass the work, uh, harass the help, um, and otherwise do a torrential blitz through that town over a weekend? I'm absolutely certain that happened in some capacity. <laughs> no, but of course. Um, but what is so both entirely frustrating about the based on a true story trope and is the idea that, right, we we superimpose, right, like the, the, the lesson, the story that, is, that this is supposed to give to us, right, and then we take that and then fucking reinterpret reality through it in order to fucking be told what this true story is actually about. And this film, of course, does that right this is not this is a based on a true story film but the fact that it seeks out such a subjective take on this right the fact that it has such a i think unique and
1: well it's unabashed about un- it
2: and just is yes exactly yeah. right like i mean it should have said based on a true story in, in front of it right just so that the fucking just so fuck you yeah just so the normies <laughs> would be like well honey did you do you, do you really think someone could take seventy-five pellets of mescaline over a weekend? Yeah, yeah so you have the street <laughs> Jeez, people. honey, <sighs> oh man, I'm I'd be really surprised, you know. But like, it almost needs. I mean, if anything, this movie's lacking. I mean, I'm I'm kind of upset that this film did not have based on a true story within it. And, um, but so of journalism. There it was.
1: There I am. Yeah, there I am.
2: Jesus, God Almighty! <laughs> look at the, look at that bunch over there, man. They've spotted us. Um, so. I think that, uh, that one of my favorite things, of course, is gonzo journalism is that the the author and the story are enmeshed into each other. Um, Hunter Thompson's first major break. And in fact, he's on a, um, there's a really great, you can find it on YouTube where Hunter Thompson was on a show called This Is Your Life, where people were like, you know, you had like a panel of guests and they would explain shit that you've done and you'd have to like, but Hunter S. Thompson's on that show uh, because... Um, In the mid-60s, he, in a sense, joins uh, the Hells Angels, uh, the biker gang, and writes a series of stories which become a novel um, about the Hells Angels. And this kind of, I mean, you you can kind of begin to see, like, the operational way in which you would build this kind of, uh, the idea that he's, like, infiltrated, the idea that he has, in order to, once again, objectively report... He must subjectively become and join um, becomes this very fucking cool uh, way in which gonzo journalism approaches um, events uh, and and seeks to explain and report on them. And uh, that is exactly, I think, what is kind of fun about this, too. And why I think this idea of based on a true story is that what's so absurd about it is any sort of claim to, like, objectivity. And this film is fucking no. Um, In fact, we're going to complain total subjectivity in order to present something that is perhaps more true and more real than what actually happened.
0: Well yeah, it's got a brazenly unreliable narrator. Yes. I mean the the guy is talking through everything he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um but that doesn't we already know that what he is doing is a portrayal of what the narrator is saying. Mm-hmm. So and that's, that's actually, normally when you have an unreliable narrator, the reason you have it there is so that you can trick the audience in some regard, either narratively speaking to go with a plot twist or as showed up, I, I forget, it's probably a DFW thing just because it seems like the right time period for it. The disconnect between what people say and what they do yes. and the way television sort of um Television exploded this whole idea that you could see a politician lie through their teeth and then watch the footage of mm-hmm. the carnage contradicting what they're talking about. This narrator does not do that ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, this narrator in the film, and this is something that can't come across in the book because the book doesn't have the visual and audio component. It just has the audio component. The film is just showing what the narrator's saying. It's not betraying the narrator at any mm-hmm. point. It is going right along. With everything that's being said. Right. Um, Which is actually a very unusual tactic for a narrator. Correct. Um, Usually, again, there's normally this interplay. There's some insight that can be gained by seeing what the narrator is claiming to have happened. And what you're getting instead, in the most perverse way possible, because of what we're talking about here, the sprinkling of fiction on top of it, is you're getting an exact depiction of an inexact experience. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, and that's not, and again, I guess that that actually sort of ties into why I don't, I don't know how much I actually like the film because no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that actually does kind of hurt it, it a little bit. It's,
2: it's, it's such an honest portrayal of an inherently, you know, an honest thing to do, which is to make a film. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> nothing more dishonest than making a film. And yet this is, it's, it's just so. Like I said, it's just so genuine in the way that it wants. I mean, I, I for one, and I'm like actually, as you were mentioned talking about this, I've, I have, I've, I have rummaged this through my mind several times. But I really wish there was a version of this film without voiceover, and I would like. I mean, as you the like, Blade Runner cut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there is the kind of Blade Runner cut where like all the voiceover would be stripped from this, and all we would have would be, you know, the film it, it, it as it was presented. And I'm. I'm all excited thinking as I'm like, we playing scenes in my mind, like, you know, like just being able, because, you know, I, it, I it, mean, would, it look, would so I th- take you into that moment with them rather than hearing that narration.
0: No, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, that, I think that's a tenet we established at some point is that we've, voiceover is.
1: Yeah. We've discussed this voiceover thing before. Yeah. Voiceover
0: is problematic for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And I think, I, I do think it hurts this film. I mean, it's, it's hard to know without, doing some sort of mechanical dislocation but I do there's something about the fact that the narrator is just talking about what's happening yes Um, and that's that's clever and it's funny because obviously it's just riffing off the book it's just taking lines out of the book and then illustrating them for you which Mm. is what Terry Gilliam is
2: known for yeah, but he, but for this film, you know, what? which, like you said, because, be, I mean, drugs are a subjective experience. I mean, if my own recent history will relay that as well. But, like, there's just been a lot in which we could fucking, you know, like, I really, I really wish that I had a narrator with me at some points, you know, to, like, you know, like, guide me through some of this as well. And.
1: Yeah, just to explain what was going on yeah, right yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah, no, yeah.
2: Like, what is happening? You know, like, um, but, um. But one of the things I think that saves voice the voiceover in this film is that it's fucking fully committed to, right? The idea that it essentially just, you know, highlights of the of the audiobook that we're kind of playing through this. Um, the the they allow it to imbue humor within this. Um, you know, they uh it it references things that are happening now, foreshadows in the future, like you said, um, provides context. Um it switches over between like you know, even the narration will like invade the current thinking of the characters involved mm-hmm. to where the narrator will be speaking, and suddenly we'll see the main character in the narrator's voice. Like, Jesus, did I say that? Did well, I yeah, because you know, there like, the,
1: the, there's a couple times fucking, where we don't know whether it's it's in his head or whether he's actually just oh, saying no, this. Yeah.
0: No, see, I have a bone to pick very specifically with that because that joke is already in the book. Mm-hmm. What I wish instead is that the voiceover was. Just always depth talk
1: just him talking mm-hmm.
0: that it wasn't a voiceover. it was literally his lines probably could have gotten yeah.
1: away with that I mean the voiceover the voiceover never bothered me specifically with this but mostly because it's such good no it's not
0: it's not bothersome yeah. it's just it it betrays what I don't like about it as a yes. film. yeah,
2: no, and it and it is problematic, all right, because voiceover is a voiceover is a fucking it's a crutch. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's no, a, and
1: I could see just just for the same reason why he said like even people even with the voiceover, you know, some people would just not get this movie without someone explaining what's going on in the scene. Oh, you'd, you'd, need... you'd lose even more people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you'd need it <laughs> need to pull the
2: camera back a lot. Yeah, farther. Yeah. No, than the sociopathology do. of the of yeah. everything going on would be a little bit too much. I mean. You get accused of making a film, you know, that's essentially nihilistic, you know, like, you know, without narration or context being provided by some sort of disembodied, responsible narrator. Uh, Jesus Christ. Well, yeah. I mean, the the film does very
0: little visually to describe that. I mean, there's a couple of scenes where he's watching the news, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. features much, much more prominently in the book. Um there's, there's just like the, these moments. They have the the carnival around Circus Circus, where it's obviously. Supposed well, even to in be the beginning, it's just like not...
1: explaining them going back and forth. Like first they go to the rental place, and then he's got to pick up the shirts, <laughs> and then he's got to drive back, and then the car got in an accident, and then yeah. he's got to get across town, and then he's. Well, gonna...
2: <laughs> it's that it's that litany of fucking obstacle solution, yeah. obstacle <laughs> solution. Like it's it builds that fucking that that determination of the to get the story. goddammit. it, you know? Like oh god damn. But again, it drags me. It drags me back to my right,
0: nec- not, not voiceover. Nec- anyways, well, not not necessarily my original question, but if the visual side of this is only reinforcing, the th- if the book can be said to have a thesis, and I think even though that's it's a little strong to call it strictly a thesis, I think there's there's some themes in the book, mm-hmm. if nothing else, that mm-hmm. are if the visual side of it is not reinforcing those themes what is the value of the film because the one that it is absolutely reinforcing is the drug one right
1: no well all, yeah all of the cultural stuff is really told through the narration stuff and flashback
0: yeah that's and that's that's my problem with the film mm-hmm. like it's a good film because and it's not like no country mm-hmm. for old men i read no country for old men that is a great book I then rewatched the movie and the Coen brothers added a lot to it. Yeah. Um, no, that, that is, is a better that, movie than a book. That, yes. that is a great book. And a great film was built upon a great found. There's a reason why it's like one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. This movie, that book, what they took to make in the book, they stole so much of what makes that film good mm-hmm. from the book. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, And I just don't, and again, it's the, comes back to the drug
2: question yeah i like i, I would have to go back to my you know my, my previous answer about it being something that is like i guess i i do think that this is an impartial right answer to that this is just this can't be it can't be all those things and if it i mean maybe because if it was we wouldn't be fucking talking about the the book you know like <laughs> i mean we, we'd be talking about this amazing fucking film yeah uh, the same way that you know with no country for Old Men. Um, You know, you get past the book pretty quickly and you're left with this fucking astounding cinematic achievement in No Country for Old Men. Um, But so it's, it it just, it, once again, I think just has to relay what someone brings to that, right? Like when we watched it, you know, we were kind of like aware that like, this is, you know, this is just a a beginning point, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't the end point in and of itself. Uh, for what this like represented to us, the fact that we like enjoyed the experience watching it, the fact that we were like in tune with it and you know, like you as well, I mean, you didn't have to read the book, you know, but yeah, exactly. But you went and read it and you know, I think we all have the opinion that the book is fucking better than this movie.
0: No, but I mean by sheer utility, the film did its job. Yes, absolutely. Um, I guess here's, here's another way to rephrase this question. What did Terry Gilliam and Johnny Depp and Benicio del Toro bring to this narrative?
1: That's funny because Gilliam, Gilliam is not a does not use drugs to enhance his creative pa- ability. He's
2: never done acid, so
1: maybe he was overcompensating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't that fit into the doesn't that fit into the same category as all the horror yeah, directors mean, this... being mild mannered suburban children? Right.
1: Is that the the case? I think yeah, more people... the
0: the George Romero and that kind oh, of okay. stuff. They all do. Uh, they're, they're all they're all just, just like fat and nerdy, right? well, they're all just mild mannered people who live in crimeless areas around the United States and yeah. then that have lame torturous yeah
1: torturous horrible, yeah, things, torturous, happening. horrible yeah. things happening in their minds yeah. all the time when
2: he when the zombie crushes his head, could we get more brain coming out the ears? yeah, that'd be good, yeah, yeah they're like, <laughs> <laughs> so um all right so uh, I do have to say all right, so it is it is a rather unique experience, um so I would maybe clarify what they bring to this by comparing it to, I mean, obviously where the Buffalo Rome is a film about Thompson um, on the campaign trail 72. It yeah, has that's some
1: more journalistic than yep, this one.
2: It lacks the, the visual fucking flair and, and special effects to convey the altered state, so to speak. Um, but then another great film about drug use and, maniacal people going through <laughs> difficult situations um, is a film called with nail and I. And that film is also uh drug use is a highly contained component in the narrative and character in that story as well.
1: And it's also about the dangers of having like a sociopathic friend. It's yes. just exhausting. Oh yeah. Just no. Don't do it.
2: But then, but what, what, where these two films and where I think you can find the uh, emphasis in fear and loathing is uh, this is fucking commitment. Like, so Benicio Del Toro, I mean, um, we should probably mention that Benicio Del Toro is not a fat person, like, ever. Have you ever seen, no, he's always a relatively in-shape, svelte kind of guy. But in this film, he is paunched and fucking bloated. Um, so in the film, but it's, it's one of those things that, like, when, all right, so when you watch this film and you, lo- you read the commentary, you listen to the commentary, you watch the documentary. Um, so, but, uh, Doctor, the original Dr. Gonzo, um used to put cigars out on his arms to freak people out. Um, and when if you look at Benicio Del Toro's arm, um, he has cigar burns <laughs> on his arm that he actually did himself. They're not makeup. up um, And in fact, Benicio Del Toro, about three-quarters of the way into the production, um, had to go to the hospital because he developed a blood infection from the burns that he was putting on himself from this. And um, so the... Like one of my favorite scenes is the circus circus uh, yeah. freak out. Um the first time they're at Circus Circus not with the ape after the after anything. <laughs> um but their initial freak out um the the physicality, the physical performance of it. I mean, once again the um the freak out scene with Lucy, right? Yeah. When he's out there and he's got to like like simulate this break in <laughs> to freak to get her to quit calling over the phone. I mean, Come on, you know, like how do you like? All right, you know, like pick up. All right, so slam the phone, pretend you're getting uh ambushed and beaten uh on the phone, and then you just fucking flail, you know, it's it's just like gone all out. And um, in that sense, I mean, when was the last time you had seen a movie with such fucking flamboyant, com- committed uh acting as this? I mean, that was really what I'd like to kind of get into here. Um, were these great performances? I think so. I think that these. This is are,
1: about as good as Johnny Depp dials. Yeah, in. I don't
2: know. I don't know. I mean, because Johnny Depp. I mean, but we should also mention
1: too that and, and Benicio del Toro's no Javier Bardem.
2: That's true, but once that again, that is a factual statement. But a lot of some, but it, ironically, uh, he is a good actor. But what is oftentimes so uh, poignant about his acting style is the fact that, and this sound, might sound weird, right? But he is clearly an animal that is poised to strike, but never strikes. And I like, <laughs> so I love like Benicio del Toro as someone, his his acting conveys an intensity that oftentimes is never realized in the actual performance, but I think has a kind of intensity to it. And this one, he's fucking, you know, he is just like one, he's already been shot out of the cannon and he is just, you know, in mo- motion the whole film. Um, I'm just trying to think of other roles. We should also mention too that um, Johnny Depp's other like best role after this um, is Jack Sparrow, where you have this fucking like unique conception of like you know of of line delivery and physicality that he fucking develops after this role as well and holds on to for about two movies. Yeah, Um, no, but it's but I mean like don't look, you can fucking hymen hall you want to about what it's become, but the first one and a half times you saw the first parts of the caribbean movie
0: oh i won't disparage that uh, yeah, i, I uh, consider no, that movie yeah.
2: to be a classic in
0: some sense i got yeah, yeah that movie
2: on. that Call there's it. a lot They're, going there's forward. some hardened cynics to fucking poo-poo the first time you saw uh, uh parts of the caribbean no I, w- I was not one of them yeah i like that movie nicole i saw it recently oh, oh, elitist
1: um i think i've seen the first one um <laughs> yeah i think it's got Kieran knightley in it right <laughs> i don't know it's got uh, yeah it's, <laughs> Yeah, it does. Okay, and I, it's got, I, I've seen it.
0: And it's got uh, Timothy Olsen. Okay, Jeffrey, wait, or, Jeffrey or, Rush, man. Okay, yeah. okay,
1: so, okay, so do you think the movie, because it's too focused on drugs, it diminishes it because it's not having enough of the message? Because honestly, I don't think enough people would have watched it if it was about the message. Because people don't want to fucking hear that their American dreams are fucking shattered. And the people that already know that use a lot of fucking drugs. So you're either already in or you're already out.
0: The box office suggests that that strategy didn't work either. <laughs> yeah, they did not make back the budget on this film. Um, no, it doesn't. It's not. This is not, not a
1: film for fucking everybody. Yeah. No, <laughs> apparently and not. It was never going to be, no matter what they tweaked or how much voiceover they got rid of. Yeah. No, but that's that's the thing.
0: It's not that there's a focus on drugs. It's that once you parle, once you attempt to parlay, is the wrong word. Um, Shift, pivot. Sure, no, it just conveys fine. Once you, once you try to, <laughs> I just couldn't, I just couldn't come up with a six-letter, duosyllabic word to fit what I wanted. Um, <laughs> I was reaching way too far up on the shelf. Um, no, once, once you try I need some drugs. <laughs> once you try to bring, I don't know why that was so funny. <laughs> There's once. Once you try to put a visual spin on this novel while remaining this faithful to it, you end up focusing on drugs because there's that's what's happening yeah. like that is the action they didn't have to focus on it. that just naturally became the focus right because they didn't it's clear they did not want to step on Hunter s. Thompson, yeah. Like, there is an, an, yeah, there is an almost fanboyish reverence yep. for him.
1: Oh, th- no no doubt. I mean, J- okay, Johnny Depp has, like, serious fanboy reverence for Hunter S. Tom. I mean, he shot his ashes out of a cannon at his own cost of $3 million to just, you know, commemorate him. Mm-hmm.
0: That sounds very Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: No, there's there is no doubt reverence going on with, like, everybody... Doing this project?
0: No, I mean I I don't want to necessarily speak to what was in anyone's mind during filming, but I I get the impression that they they in some sense were were afraid of tweaking the vision.
2: No, there's a commitment to this project. I think that you know why they were there and why it needed to be made, and who it and how it could try to project what was in that. Um,
0: Okay, so all right, well let's go with that question. Needed to be made.
2: Yeah, I think, well, the, because at the time, you know, like, Thompson's older um, by this point. Um, at 97, he's what, just barely, just in his mid-50s, and he's a rough late 50s. I mean, you know, he's fucking hard. Um, hard Thompson G, I wonder why. Yeah, Thompson, well, Thompson kills himself in 2005. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he commits suicide, um, you know, after his body begins to break down from the lifestyle he led. You know, he he commits suicide in 2005, and, um, you know, I think there's a kind of recognition that, Um, You know, the only way to kind of, like, reach a new generation would be to, you know, to reinvent it through a kind of visual medium uh, that could fucking, you know, present it in an extravagant way uh, to, you know, a generation of people who fucking didn't read, you know, who who aren't engaged with the kind of, like, the the culture in the same way. So it needed to be made. That's a satisfactory answer. Yeah, I think that needed to be made would be that 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 would be the best chance for you know this to live on in that kind of sense and um i mean
0: it's a little it's a little cynical i guess know. that it's um th- that 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 answer is essentially uh those damn kids
2: Well, but, i mean uh, it's just but it's but it's there it's that language i mean it's something you know in an era where you know like you're you know you're it's uh you know it's a, it's a fucking tv generation more so than any other before it and now you know it would i think i think there are new it, you know, would a movie serve the same purpose in another 10 years? You know, perhaps not. I mean, it would just present new challenges or things like that. Fear but, and
0: Loathing TV series?
2: Uh, fear and Loathing uh, YouTube channel, you know, like whatever it's got to be done. Um, I would I would
0: submit that most of YouTube is a Fear and Loathing I would, no, operation. I,
2: I, I would fucking agree. Um, you know, vlogging is the ultimate fucking, you know, <laughs> expression, expression of this kind of solipsism that oh, one would have to absorb. Cry so. for help. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, I got deep. Nicole. Yes. There is, at the district attorney meeting, there's a lecturer. And he represents everybody that everyone hates from, it's got to be at least 40, 50 years. Um, I forgot specifically why I pointed at you when I said this. There was something about that man that triggered me talking about you. To the, Did you have... A collegiate experience that included anyone like that person.
1: Um, that's funny. No, but I feel like I should have because that's the person that was portrayed as being collegiate my whole life. This is Th- I have the exact, old
0: dean. No, I have this exact. I have this exact phenomenon. I didn't necessarily want to ask Ryan because no, his, I, I, his, I his opinion of this may be tainted. I don't know, Ryan. You can weigh in on this. I don't. I never had a professor like that person.
1: I don't think I did.
0: Like, that that person was driven out of the academic system definitely by the time I went into school and apparently 10 years prior.
1: Like, that person disappeared. I mean, in elementary school, I could say that that person showed up in, like, administration, I think. But, I mean, when I went to elementary school, you could still sign a waiver to have your kids beaten if they were bad. So, like, in, when I was, like, in first and second grade, so... I have, and I never had. But we were past the point of smoking. I never had anyone who was like, you know, with the, the cigarettes. That seems to be like an important like note that these people hate themselves and they hate drugs, <laughs> but they're chain smoking drinkers. Yes, absolutely.
0: We got to do something. No, I
1: know, I know. We
0: can't do nothing.
2: Absolutely, Ryan. No, i just never afraid any, of uh, the right ones. Yeah, exactly. No hacks like that could only be found for hire at conferences of professionals. Like they would. not <laughs> Like, you couldn't, like, academe, those people get ridden out. Those people get found
0: out way early. But that's the thing. What, what he's doing is a form of academia. Where
2: is the split? Oh, well, he would be someone that would more than likely be hired by an organization to study something like that. He couldn't make it on the merit of his study alone. Oh, uh, okay. See? And that's the kind of thing that can. of, I, mean, I mean.
1: I remember when the police used to come and they brought that, that case that he steals oh, at God, the meeting. Damn. I remember that case and the people coming and talking. And, like pointing to the stuff like that was a real thing I remember that's the that. thing i
0: i always had a police officer do that though it was, i think it, it was never probably... an actually educated human being Yeah, i think it was, it was
1: probably it was police <laughs> officers <laughs> are like recovering fucking drug addicts or yeah. something <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm not calling
0: police officers stupid i'm just saying they they were not given a formal education on what they were talking about that much came across yeah I mean, that was just an interesting, weird bit of trivia. I I was curious about when that phased itself out. No, but it's
1: still, like, as far as, like, a a stereotype, it seems to be... It's still around, for some reason. Like,
0: no one is that person anymore, but everyone still relates to it. And that meeting is definitely the one that, uh... The one where they're sitting in the back doing drugs at the DA meeting. is. That's certainly a good, iconic scene. No, I know. It's very fun. They're talking about... And he's talking about all his research into why they're called roaches. (laughs) And... (laughs) The different levels of marijuana use. I just like that great. he's
1: at that convention because he feels like the drug culture should be represented. I <laughs> yeah. yeah. like yeah. that, <laughs> but that's like, like that's such a, you know, like, well, of course, like why, why shouldn't they be represented? That yeah, really.
0: some... <laughs> <laughs> meeting is pretty, and that that kind of research does definitely still exist. But again, there's no, there's no wonkish asshole at the front of the stage talking about it anymore. No. Nope. It seems like a unfortunately, mi- yeah. This seems like an aesthetic preference. I think we should get back to
2: <laughs> myself. need polyester ties to come back again. Then I have a quite a
1: collection of yes. polyester <laughs> I ties. Could, I
2: could give a terrible lecture about drugs on that in one of those ties. So, oh. um, anything else? Well, so this
1: is what all true stories should really be about. Absolutely, I think. Are we continuing the theme? I can commend him for that. Yeah, it's
0: a month, man. All right. Well, Nicole, the month okay. of July, August, whenever we all So I, I'm,
1: I, I'm juggling two of them, and, right. but th- they both have pros and cons. Okay. Okay. So I wanted to either do Bronson okay. or The Revenant. Okay. All right. Okay. Bronson, I don't want to give that director too much credit, even though I like <laughs> that film, because I think his oeuvre is crap.
0: Which director is that? <laughs> it's Nicholas? the Danish Winding guy that makes Refin. shitty
1: films Refin. with Gosling. Oh, okay. Um, I don't think not. It's okay. not quite good. you don't know what you're talking about. Oh God. <laughs> okay, Dude, I, I want to
2: do that movie. I want to do Bronson. Though.
1: Okay. No, the, okay. Uh, well, okay, and it's also shorter. The Revenant. I really enjoy watching. It's much longer, but I don't want a podcast to devolve into a Leo bashing situation. I don't know how you oh, guys feel.
0: Plenty like. to. T- I would talk about Brady more than I would talk about or. I, Hardy, my bad, not Tom Brady. I, well, if
1: you notice, the, the commonality between these two films is that they both have Tom Hardy. So, l- look. so it is a win-win on that front.
2: All right. I just, I just, I have to say that whether you like it or not, whether you are aware of it or not. Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the best actors of this generation. Just fucking deal with that. No,
1: I don't have a problem with him.
2: I'm talking to them. Okay. Those people who are simply...
1: Much like this movie, I grew up with DiCaprio, (laughs) and he had really great movies before Titanic.
2: (laughs) God damn it. I mean, I disagree, just not all Ah. that strongly. All right, well, I guess it'll be a surprise for our podcasting audience (laughs) of what movie we inevitably end up picking.
0: Again, people get mad when I lump Leo DiCaprio and um, Nicolas Cage together.
2: But in my mind, they fill the
0: same bucket of being who they are, acting their asses off. Yes. Like...
1: I think that's just I, where you develop after years in Hollywood. Like you just you just like show up and like well all I can be is me at this point. That's the
0: thing and this is why the Revenant would be a great point of contrast. Tom Hardy they're, has you know, a beautiful they uh, more Tom than Hardy one Tom Hardy is person. British.
1: It's two different fucking ball games. Okay? Maybe. Listen, British people acting is in their blood. It's natural. It they do it better. Americans do not have it's it's they're not bred for it. They, like, they don't have it intrinsically. They will never be as good as British actors. I mean, it can't happen. More than,
0: more than one person in more than one movie uh, that I have been to, and I don't watch a lot of movies. So.
1: <laughs> Except <laughs> outside the, the movie crew <laughs> podcast. This. Uh, fucking obligations.
0: Even, even so. Have said, <laughs> oh, that's Tom Hardy. After a movie was over. Because yes. they didn't realize it was Tom Hardy. Yeah. That's oh, a good actor. I
1: fucking realize it's Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah. That's a,
0: that's a good actor. Every. No I'm one at, has oh, ever.
1: It's, it's Tom Hardy. No.
0: Tom Hardy. No one. Oh, this,
1: this phrase. Get warm in here. I know.
0: <laughs>
1: this, uh, this. Even if he's in the snow. Yeah.
0: This, this phrase has never been intoned in this way in a theater before. Oh, that's Leo DiCaprio.
1: <laughs> oh, no, you know. <laughs> you know.
0: Oh, that's Nicolas Cage. They are they are very, very good at being a version of them.
1: Yeah, you don't do that of Tom Cruise either. <laughs> yeah. You're always pretty even when he's dressed up, you're like, dude, that's that's Tom Cruise. Like, <laughs> he's playing like an old guy that's rapping. Uh, sure I guess yeah. it works.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna have to.
1: Oh
0: well. Uh, let us know which one it is and we'll pencil it in for the next show, which will be next week. Doesn't have to be the movie crew review that may be bi-weekly as it has been
2: for the last
1: well it usually works because we watch and then we need like a week to digest yeah it takes it takes losses. some time it takes time to schedule you pre-
2: this magic just doesn't happen on its own no, no I don't read a goddamn book you gotta prepare have it read to me oh, this isn't this isn't this isn't enjoyable for us you know
0: yeah like this is we work our asses off for no reason God, every damn. week so that the five of you the story of my life download this fucking thing <laughs> better be grateful yeah
2: (laughs) if not you can tell us next time you see us
0: that's true (laughs) (laughs) spin around in your chair let me know nicole ryan thanks for being part of the machination thank you good morning everyone